So much of our history, our ancestor history was preserved through sound. Our ancestors used the slave ship as a mode of communication with each other. They were able to use the infrastructure of this prison to communicate with each other. What was lost by us not being able to record that history has been embedded and encoded into sound. Welcome to Voices of Esalen, I'm Sam Stern. My guest today is Jazlyn, creative and curatorial director of Black Beyond, a radical space for artists and activists to define alternate realities for blackness. As an anti-disciplinary artist, Jazlyn combines new media and community organizing practices to reimagine black futures and to decolonize and re-indigenize social and creative practice. Her work has been featured in Cultured Magazine, Vogue, The New Yorker, and Huffington Post. Jazlyn was interviewed for today's episode by Michelle McCrary. Michelle is a daughter, granddaughter, niece, cousin, mother, wife, and friend who lives on occupied Duwamish land in the Pacific Northwest. She has roots in coastal Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina. And when she's not leading the communications team at Esalen, she's training to become a facilitator with the Healing and Reconciliation Institute, tending to her winter garden, reading her way through a massive pile of books on her nightstand, and working on the screenplay for her horror anthology. Before we turn to their conversation, Last year, Friends of Esalen helped us to survive closures due to the pandemic, fires, and mudslides. We're here today because of you. When you become a friend of Esalen with a donation, your contribution helps us finance our day-to-day operations in Big Sur, from staff to infrastructure. This year, our goal is to raise $450,000 and to make 300 new friends so that we can continue to keep our doors open for generations to come. So become a friend now. Go to esalen.org give. Now here's our conversation with Jazalyn. So Sam teed us up a little bit, but I feel like we need to let the people know who we are. I can start if that works better for you. My name is Michelle McCrary, and I have been uh, running the comms team here at Esalen since November of 2020. And I am a daughter a granddaughter, a wife, a friend, and I, I just am. I come from a long line of folks from Georgia who are Geechee by way of Sierra Leone. And on my dad's side, on my paternal side, I come from a long line of folks from North Carolina with indigenous roots, um, Tuscarora, Deer Clan to be exact. So that is who I am. Who are you, Jaslyn? <laughs> well, I love that um, you said you're a Geechee girl. I also recently found out I'm a Geechee girl. So nice to meet you, All fellow right. Geechee girl. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, we, we know each other, but now we know we know each other. Exactly. Yes. Yes. So as Geechee girl, I'm also from the South. Um, North Carolina, to be specific, and then also extending across the Atlantic to West Africa. Uh, Recently, I found out that predominantly Nigerian, Cameroonian, and Ghanaian. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. Yes. That's that's my heritage. Um, Digging it deeper, there's some Southeast Asian going on and the DNA as well. So, yeah, still unpacking that. 
But to speak about like who I am, what I do, I'm a multidisciplinary artist. I prefer anti-disciplinary because with these labels in themselves, that comes restrictions. And, you know, I'm just very anti in regards to feeling like restricted or label, more so thinking about how can we be expansive outside of being confined. I love that. And I love that the that that consideration because I feel like words mean things and when I hear discipline I think punitive I think carceral and I think about all of those places where I'm growing and my understanding around abolition and I'm very very new to considering those pieces and a deep part of that is like unpacking language for me Um, so it's really cool to hear you say that. I also want to kind of touch into why we're doing it and why this is not Sam kind of interviewing someone. And in full transparency, um, one of the big reasons, aside from, you know, the opportunity to work at Esalen itself and the beautiful land, the artist in residence program was a really big part of why uh, I came on board and I've had the honor of being on the artist in residence committee. And uh, I also have the honor of speaking with all the artists sort of after their experience. So most of the artists I've kind of sat in conversation with and had a little bit of after experience. And I reach out to pretty much everyone or I try to um, before they start. We were in conversation and it turned into a vibe. <laughs> And it turned into like a a whole piece around like all these connections that we kind of made in that conversation. You expressed to me that you really wanted to, as a part of like your experience and like, if this feels correct, you could correct me, like a, a offering of your experience and a part of like your work, you wanted to sit down and have the conversation, like a, a the similar kind of kind of kind of conversation we had um, when we sat down that first time, and then we sat down again. <laughs> yeah, every time we sit down, you know, there's as much tea to share. And yes, um, yes, and as two black women, um, kind of having a similar kind of experience with the place, I feel like we connected there. Um, and yeah, that's why we decided to do it like this because. Uh, it was sort of a way to extend your 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 work and like your experience and like a I felt like it felt like an offering of like your your work and your process as an artist. Does that feel accurate? Yeah, or just like beyond being an artist, but just being. Mm, which yeah. I, I really love how you grounded our conversation by saying I just am, and then like the levels of being being a daughter, being a mother, Mm, et cetera. But yeah, just, just being. Yeah. So we got into that conversation. So this is why we're doing it. And uh, I'm really excited to do it. And we also in that conversation talked a little bit about artists and residents as like a program and kind of Esalen's deep legacy and connection to artists. I think lineage is really powerful. Um, And my approach to kind of understanding and communicating about Esalen is kind of coming from that space of lineage and trying to like 
hit those touch points. And really, uh, we have a lot of work to do in that space because there is a lineage and a, 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 a connection and a, a sense of place that we have not uh, touched on as an organization from a, a story standpoint, from practical standpoint that we're in process of doing. Um, and that work is with the Esalen tribe and kind of doing the work around healing and reconciliation. But for me, part of that work is lineage and, and starting from those pieces. So yeah, like what, what attracted you to this artist in residence program? Yeah, I think just coming off of a, a year plus of doing heavy organizing work, you know, building out the foundation for Black Beyond, which is a radical space for artists and activists to um, define and speculate alternate realities for Blackness. But in doing so and creating this space, having to put my own personal art practice on hold for the most part, mm-hmm. yeah, wanting a place to a reflection and of transition, feeling like that was a critical point that I was reaching in my life is what appealed to me about Esalen. Yeah, and you were defending your dissertation that whole time you were there, right? Yes, I was. <laughs> so uh, trying to find as much rest in, in the midst of doing that as possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. like I was I was somewhat successful, at least like having a change of scenery and that being such a sacred place and doing so. Yeah. And, and I just want to, you know, honor the Esalen tribe and the Esalen people um, for allowing us to be on that land and allowing us all to experience that. Um, And if people want to find out more, we'll put it in the show notes, but the Esalen tribe of Monterey County, who we're in conversations of healing and reconciliation with, they have really great uh, stories about what that land was used for and the healing properties of that land are very much a part of their story. So I encourage folks to go and check out their website and uh, we'll make sure that people have that information so that they could do that. Um, what jumped out at, for me um, about your work is sound. And I could have gone with music, but I was really specific about sound because as I kind of dug into Black Beyond, there were like a couple of things that came up for me around sound and how the folks in sort of, I would call it like a collective. It's because it's a, a group of artists. It feels like a movement of artists. Sound is a really central part of that. So could you just talk about that piece and like, let's get into that. And I'm going to hold my questions about the Detroit house piece. Cause you know, you know, I got excited when, um, I found out about that work that you were doing, but we're going to talk about sound and we're going to focus this conversation <laughs> on this question on sound. Well, I mean, I think it, it's definitely all connected in my opinion. Um, so sound and the sonic realm has always been an inspiration for my personal work. And through my work, I'm like more so interested in world building and there's nothing more visceral or compelling than sound. And then I started to unpack this as it pertains to Blackness, which is relevant to a course that I'm, I'm teaching right now called Alt-Reality at Parsons School of Design, 
I'm co-teaching with uh, author and techno sound artist DeForest Brown Jr. But I actually want to read a, a few quotes that I pulled um, from an article that we were referencing in this class and then also in a workshop series that I did um, with Black Beyond called Deadly Notes, Atlantic Soundscapes, Writing the Middle Passage by Danielle Chicon. So in the words of another art author, the poet James Field Stanfield, fearful sounds, deadly notes, trembling rage reverberate through the bodies of slaving ships. He continues, and one long groan, the feeble throng unite, one strain of anguish, waste the lengthened night. Out of discordant voices, he suggests emerges, emerge sounds that combine with a polyphonic chorus to contest the abstraction and inhumanity of the slave trade. These sonic registers transform radical unbelonging into potentially a form of radical resistance. Radical perhaps precisely because it cannot be reproduced by the record. It is no easy task to reconstruct these Atlantic soundscapes. Sound fades, only writing remains. These experiences are beyond what language can describe. And his passage into slavery is also, also suggests a passage into an Atlantic soundscape defined by the voices of the enslaved rather than the written rec record of the captors. By understanding the writing of the Middle Passage as an early audio technology, rather than simply a history of exploitation, we can think about sound as a new language of resistance perhaps particular to pathways of the middle passage and embedded in the writing itself. Ooh, that feels like a word. Yes. And there are a couple of pieces that I want to, that are kind of occurring to me as you talk about that, because I've heard the phrase before and please pardon me for the uh, attribution. If you have it, please do um, the technology of blackness. And that kind of comes up. And I never really considered the sound and the sounds of the middle passage as another kind of um, possibility for a kind of technology. Yeah, yeah, I know. Like that passage in itself is like, you have to let it sit there. And that kind of wrecks me. So I'm trying to like, like orient. Cause I was like, what? just it's, 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 it's visceral. You know, and that's what I appreciate about your work and why I asked you about sound, because it's like, a, it's very visceral and it's bringing up for me um, a course that I took recently through Communiversity um, with Dr. Coco Selassie. And she talked a lot about ontology and blackness and like, so many things are foundational to just being like we talked about. And I feel like sound is one of those things. For sure. Yeah. And I feel like it gets overlooked, especially in the quote unquote academy, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. in, in these spaces where it's like, like here in this text, they're speaking about the record and about like, you know, written history and what they're speaking to it's such a great article but like what they're getting at is who had the power to write history and then what was lost through that sound but then like 
what I've been tapping to and like why this article has been such gold for me because it has put to words what I've had difficulty putting into words myself. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do write, that's not like my first, uh, it's not the first tool I grab when it comes to express um, mm-hmm. myself. But yeah, what they're like justifying here is that so much of our history, our ancestor history was preserved through sound. What was lost by us not being able to record that history has been embedded and encoded into sound. And like even like other parts of this article is speaking about how our ancestors used the slave ship as a mode of communication with each other. Um, Even like slave ships that were overturned, they were able to use the infrastructure of this prison this, this mm-hmm. ship-like prison, prison to communicate with each other. And especially because like there's different tribes that are on the slave ship from different parts of the continent who yeah. aren't able to communicate with each other. They had to revolt, like, you know, rely back on the power and sound and sound as a technology and thinking about like radical resistance and how that's t- tied to sound and the evolution of sound, especially amongst the diaspora and on the continent. When you consider that and then zoom out and see how music has evolved amongst the diaspora and how our radical existence and resistance is embedded and encoded from that experience on that slave ship. Uh, It's mind blowing. And which like, yeah, which connects back to like Detroit techno, Detroit house, and especially how how like those two genres in itself, in my opinion, are like the soundtrack of resistance and like a critical turning point in Black people seeing themselves in the future. Ooh, okay. Um, I, I want to start a couple of places. One is this piece that I feel is there about creation inside of profound trauma and destruction. And that is when I first talked to you, I was talking to you about uh, Bio Okolomafe's work. And like, he has this idea of Blackness as fugitive and like a sense of emergence coming from times of chaos and the, the, how, how times of chaos and trauma and pain can be sites of deep and profound sort of creation. And that's kind of what came up for me. Um, when you were just talking about this consideration of sound inside of that middle passage experience. So I, I just, I feel like we could go, go so deep here. And that's why I feel like it's a lot heavier than music. And I love that you make that connection and, you know, bringing up the Detroit house piece, we also kind of got into this discussion before about the erasure of black people Talk about that in the context of sound and silence and the erasure, um, that kind of erasure from that genre of music as a kind of like how that works inside of sound and like, you know, a silencing of that ability of Black folks to see ourselves in the future and in that kind of music. Yes. Like you said, there's so many different avenues and places to go in, in this conversation. But yeah, like this is something that we've touched based on in, in the course Alt Reality. And we've discussed how how like with this article, Deadly Notes 
how that experience that itself and like who has the power to write history is kind of connected to who had the power to rewrite history with Detroit techno. Techno mm -hmm. specifically because techno has its origins in Detroit with Juan Atkins, uh, who, you know, is still like, you know, living legend we have yeah. today. And then it was rebranded in, in Europe, in Berlin. So we have these legends who are still among us today who they don't they don't receive the respect that they that they should and you know I don't I don't have the answer for that I feel like my co-instructor digs into this deeper into uh, their book that's coming out about how how Berlin in particular was able to rebrand techno as as a European sound but I do realize that they're <laughs> there has been some sort of like reckoning with like yeah. artists who, who aren't uh, particularly black, but who make a living in this space, um, creating techno music who are because of the uprisings last year um, want to give respect and um, acknowledge that these origins of this music, uh, this dance music that has taken the world by storm since, you know, uh, early nineties, late eighties is specific to, to Black struggle and to Black radical resistance. Yeah, and I hear you on that piece. And I feel like, again, that touches on what you were speaking about in terms of lineage and the importance of those connections. And like, there is something that's kind of coming up for me around like, uh, when you are outside of that lineage, <laughs> those conversations that are very much happening now around black creators and appropriation and not just black creators, but creators of color, broad, broadly indigenous creators. Like when you are outside of that lineage, what, what is, what is your duty to honor that lineage and how do you interact with that lineage um, in a way that's not extractive? And I feel like that's a really kind of interesting discussion to have in the context that we're sitting right now <laughs> it's yeah it's such a fine line but there's just been like there's ways that you can give back you know yeah you know it's like a form of reparations like maybe setting a percentage aside of your paycheck that is specific to a certain culture like if you're making a living that has its origins within a certain culture. And especially if that culture and those people are struggling, come on, look at like Detroit, you know, like this is yes. the mecca of, of this, of this quote unquote genre. How do you set aside reparations to give back to, to the origins, you know, to Detroit? Right, right. And I think that, you know, we could go off on a whole tangent there about what people are really, how people really understand repair rations okay <laughs> like, repair what, <laughs> like what right. that what that means um but uh i appreciate I you, you saying it like that because i feel like people get triggered when they hear the word yes. reparations oh, like oh be a lot of people triggered you know <laughs> yes yeah so it's like okay let's like spell it out let's sound it out repair yes. <laughs> the damage that you might have done directly or indirectly or that you benefit from repair it. Yeah. And I yeah. think that there's are also, you know, I want to name that concerted effort that's happening now to sort of erase uh, 
an understanding and a deeper contextualization of history and how history moves to sort of obscure that need for repair, trying to, in the, in the pursuit of like binaries of good and bad, right and wrong, there's like a, a real easy escape hatch to sort of um, try to not really grapple with what it really means to repair. And again, I think that goes back to the piece about abolition and like, what does it mean to even have these conversations in a culture where everything is about just like punishment and with no pathway to repair mm-hmm. where people like, I feel like people get taken out of the conversation because nobody is discussing like a pathway to repair. Are you ready to gift yourself more time at Esalen this winter season? With the week-long self-guided exploration program, you'll have more time to learn, connect, and reflect. Spend five days and four nights in Big Sur and soak in the baths, experience Esalen massage, and explore our menu of open classes. As an added bonus, when you reserve Premium Plus, Point House, and Point House Plus accommodations for a week-long self-guided exploration program, an Esalen massage will be included with your stay. Dates from November to December are still available, but going fast. So book now at esalen.org learn. And now back to Michelle and Jocelyn. Yeah, just thinking about like reparations and then being in quote unquote communities or scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Another reason like why I dug into the history and the origins of techno experimental, like electronic experimental music um, was also because I was living in New York, living on this scene and techno music was so prevalent and there was no black people around. There was like a handful of us. And even when I would try to have conversations about like techno or house music, um, like there's this one house, I guess, collective uh, called Soul Summit. And they would have like these these dance, uh, you know, club dance music kind of like raves in the middle of the day (laughs) but it was like more so a family function like it was like a bunch of black people out in the middle of Fort Greene Brooklyn and there was just like food like it would and it would happen like I think the first Saturday of each month during the summer yeah and then like there would be like you know non-black people that would come out to that function where it's like you know like we we have no issue with like who shows up like you know come even though there's a saying like who's invited to the cookout I mean everybody was invited to to the cookout of Soul Summit (laughs) yeah (laughs) but yeah I would just like have conversations with like you know quote-unquote acquaintances on the scene about yeah like these this origins of this music is black it's so great to see like my people out here appreciating and like thriving as a part of this community quote scene um and yeah the reaction that I would get to that is just like confusion and this is like mind you this is like a year ago Yeah. yeah and and so that's why it was so important for me to reveal this history as much as I could and, and and to share that history with like our community, our black community, because like we also don't acknowledge our contributions to many popular genres um, that get rebranded as essentially not being a part of our history. Yeah. So I, I feel def- like we move at the, the 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 speed of kind of like our own brilliance and like constant state of creation because 
that creation to get way back again to that idea of just being that kind of creation because it's just a part of a cultural piece a way of being and existing that's how we're moving at the speed of that because we're creating for something as a way of living and as a way of being and surviving and thriving so I feel like that it's so weird to talk about art for me sometimes because there's like a real separation in this culture that feels strange to like African culture, indigenous African culture around art being like separate and art, like art, not as like a part of a, a deep expression of just a way of cultural being connected to like cosmology, like language, all those pieces. Does that make sense? No, yeah, totally. (laughs) I think it's just like, there's like an innate spirit within me that also resonates with that because even like calling myself an artist, maybe that's like why I lean towards the anti-disciplinary artist because in the West, (laughs) it feels like things exist in silos. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I'm, I'm not too privy to like, you know, how things are on the continent so I'm not gonna claim that I do but all I can speak to is like some inner spirit inside myself that doesn't feel the need to have to separate these different components of myself to create some sort of identity but like instead I exist within my own internal ecosystem my own internal universe that is also a part of a bigger universe yeah and and I say that totally as a lay person too as someone who is like you know studied African art at like a very like you know sort of base I'm even saying that was weird to me but studied that at a very sort of baseline level but also in the kind of courses that I've been taking and the readings that I've been doing now it is very apparent to me that that is the case there's a a, a real integrated way of being that is, I think that what I'm hearing you say, you've retained culturally. It's somewhere in your memory. It's somewhere in your genetic memory. You know, so just in the same way uh, we can have genetic memory of trauma and pain, we have that gem- genetic memory of like that is generative and that is is creative and like allows us to move kind of inside of these sort of oppressive structures. So I hear you on that. Um, I would trust that feeling. <laughs> I trust that feeling because <laughs> it comes from somewhere deep. Um, right. Yeah. Tapping into the DNA, into, into that memory. Yeah. The yeah. bio memory. Yeah. And, and when you talk about world building and world building in your work and world building through not only just landscapes, but soundscapes, that's coming from somewhere. Yeah, I'm letting that resonate. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Because like, I am such a visual, I'm such a visual person, such a visual artist. Um, That comes very naturally to me. Um, And I definitely do feel like I have Mm -hmm. an ear for sound. But creating with sound, sound is so abstract. So it's been, it's been a process for me to, to ease into like it's one thing to be a creator of sound, but then to actually build and create with sound, that's, that's a whole other realm. Yeah, it's two discrete things. And when you think about DJs um, as curators 
and creators of sound. It's like two different things happening. Um, and we got into that whole discussion about this because, you know, I disclosed that in my wild youth, I was known to frequent um, a dancery. Okay. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you used to, you know, stand on the ones and twos. I was about to no, ask, like, what was your no, name? That, were, that was a lot of my friends. I have, I still to this day have a lot of friends that who are DJs, um, but I was out there, you know, hitting the floor to the floor. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so you were on the scene. I see you. We see each other. I know. You know, we're not going to get into carbon dating, but you know, I think I predated the scene you discussed. Well, no. So that's why I had to go back to talk about Soul Summit. So Soul yeah. Summit are like the OG DJs from like the New York house and techno yeah. scene, more and so even- house. And when you said that to me, I'm thinking of Soul Summit, I'm thinking about Fort Greene, and I'm trying to recall where, because I feel like I have been. You've you've been, yes. Like, honestly, I was, uh, there's this place, so in Bed-Stuy, there's this restaurant called, oh, it's slipping my mind, but the owner is actually from North Carolina, but it also is a discotheque, and I'm so sad that I can't remember the name of it. And so they honestly, like, they rent out their place sometimes and, like, there'll be, like, tech, ra- techno raves and stuff at this restaurant that, like, also functions or used to function as a discotheque. And, oh, like, my memory sounds so familiar, but, oh, my goodness, I need some ginkgo biloba because I can't hold it because I feel it and I can <laughs> see it. And now I'm going to have to go back to the group chat with this and I know they'll come back with it because it is just escaping me. But I feels very familiar to me. And it's like, you know how you go to places and you don't really know what they're called, but you kind of go because somebody is spinning there that you like and you're just going to go. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's the spot. It's the yes. spot around the corner. Um, yes, yes. Because I have friends who still live in Fort Greene to this day. And when I was living um, back on the East Coast, you know, hanging out there, I, I know we I know we probably have been, but my memory is just like, but yeah, that's how we got into this conversation. Um, and then I started pulling out books and showing you things. <laughs> Yo, I, you know, if you're not pulling out a book on me, then like, we're not having a real conversation. Uh, I feel like anytime I'm on a call with someone, they start grabbing books. And that's how you know it's real. Yeah, I know. I just ran right over to my, I was like, wait, have you read this? I was like, wait, have you seen this? Um <laughs> Yeah. So thank you for, you know, kind of bringing us back and like connecting those dots um, to that conversation, uh, because I, I really, I really, it fascinates me. um, And I'm going to keep digging into that. I feel like a Detroit house rabbit hole coming on in my spirit. And I was, I was just kind of like, I saw a Spotify list. I was like, I need to Look at this Spotify list to see what's up um, and really, really dig into that. Um, so kind of coming back to, you know, doing this work, coming to Esalen um, for the Artist in Residence program, um, acknowledging that we're having this discussion at a predominantly, primarily, historically white institution. Um to ostensibly the same audience. Um, We don't know that yet because we have yet to run our um, surveys of the audience for the podcast, but we're gonna run on some 
you know, scientific assumption. What, what, how do you, and I feel like this is something we do as black people all the time. Um, we're often when we're not together or as I think Trustee McMillan Cottom calls it um, in circumstances where we are legible. And I feel like Esalen is one of those spaces where we are not legible, AKA in context in a certain way. How do you come to a place like Esalen doing this very, very black work in a space that does, may not. Yes, I understand. Like we just have to be real, you know? As my mother say, be real. <laughs> yes. Be you. Again, be. Being. Be. Be. Being. <laughs> for, for the academics, ontology. Ontology. Okay. Yes. You know, ontological. So- yes. <laughs> Shout out ontological. to Dr. Coco Selassie. <laughs> okay. I'm getting all on- ontological right now. Yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, so as I mentioned, like I was seeking rest as a revolutionary act mm. and yes, yes. And like really ministry. Okay. Yes. Shout out to them. <laughs> um, such an inspiration, but uh, yeah, Esalen allowed me the space to do that to the most extent that I was willing to, not necessarily willing to, but just given the circumstances, personal circumstances that I could and as I mentioned, like Big Sur is truly a sacred land. And I'm glad that I was able to visit and the artist residency allowed me to do that. I do want to say that it was a bit of a culture shock. I'm used to um, doing this work in or adjacent to white spaces. But I do think that Big Sur is quite removed from the rest of the world, which can make it difficult to have these radical conversations on topics such as race and equity, not necessarily because it's not a conversation that wants to be had, but it's just even in spaces in, uh, you know, in in New York in particular, like that being like a quote unquote art capital and like in academic spaces, there is a level of education and awareness that um, happens in those spaces. So it's just like the conversations aren't so unfamiliar or there's just like a certain level of like vocabulary that has been established amongst groups that I was doing this work in and it made me realize that okay I am living in a bubble you know I am existing in a bubble I am doing this work in a bubble um and then like also like wanting to focus on rest it's like well I have to decide how much work I want to do to, to bring people to that level in order to have these conversations, you know? I feel like that's real and that's fair. Um, and I think uh, in trying to give a little space to the artists um, in the kind of inception of that, of the program, um, the real space for that exchange what was, sort of in process and kind of hearing this again and trying to understand that and trying to um, iterate is like a place where I think we've landed. And, and I think that's real for you. Like 
um, you know, kind of still speaking in the context of sort of being in these spaces, um, sort of like predominantly white spaces doing like work meant for black people. I feel like we should have a choice to decide if we even want to translate. Right. It's a lot of code switching. Code switching is work. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's your right as the person who's birthing this work. Um, but I think like, it's a real question when you're doing work like yours in these institutions. Yeah. I, and it's real. It is real. Yeah. I mean, cause when applying to Esalen, that is, and as I had just mentioned, like rest was a priority. Um, and so then, and I was, I was coming from a place of needing rest of doing this work in a predominantly white institution um, and just all the, the inherent obstacles that come along with doing that. Um, so I had to make a conscious decision to decide that, okay, to stay true to, to why I intended to come here. And that was because I needed, I needed this moment of rest in order to continue to do the work that I am doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, it like, like while being here, it made me think about what does human potentiality really mean, mm-hmm. you know, for all humans, mm-hmm. black humans, yeah, yeah, indigenous humans, humans who don't even have access to Big Sur or places like Esalen. And then how do we empower the people who are a part of these communities, a part of the community at Esalen in particular, who are still trying to do this work? Mm-hmm. Um, and to extended communities who have to return to the havoc and ruins of the real world, you know, such as myself, we can't stay in, you know, the beautiful land of Big Sur forever. Yeah, and I hear you. And um, I'm feeling my own kind of grappling with, uh, you know, that sense of questioning a sense of urgency I feel around the need to do the work to make space for that kind of equity at a place like Esalen, while also trying to not only give the organization grace, but give myself grace because it's a real, uh, it's a real trick bag. It's a trick bag to, to, to be, you know, someone who's employed by the place and it's, I think it may be what I'm hearing from you. It's a little bit of a trick back to be somebody who's coming to like experience the place in that context. And I think it's complicated. Um, and, and that piece that you said about, you know, it's not that these conversations are not wanting to be had, but it's like, how do the people who are most affected adversely by these systems that created spaces like Esalen, really defining our rules for engagement around uh, our, our energetic and spiritual output to kind of, um, you know, bring about the shifts that need to happen um, as two people who are not like, you know, being paid to do that kind of labor but we still sort of wind up doing that labor anyway, I think is where I'm landing. Right. We do that labor because we care. Yeah. Like I was, you know, like speaking to what I said earlier, um, 
like creating the space of Black Beyond, um, a lot of that responsibility has fallen on myself to create that this space. And it it has, <laughs> as a result, made me put my own personal art practice on hold. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that was like another part of the art residency program is I wanted space to try to get back to that. Um, but still, you know, time didn't really allow. Um, but I do think that the, yeah. the art residency program, I do think that is a great start about like mm-hmm. bringing people into, you know, the community at SLN. Mm-hmm. But I do think that like, it is important to think about like, how do we move beyond just representation and tokenism? Yeah. Yeah. And how do like, we provide this empowerment, this this support, you know? Like, I'm glad we're having this conversation because like this conversation essentially is part of the work. It but is. it's like, yeah, but it's like, how do we move past conversation and like building the support and infrastructure to bring this conversation to act to action, to real impact? Does that look like bringing in groups of people opposed to just individuals yep. uh, of Black, Indigenous mm-hmm. creatives and culture workers, mm-hmm. um, providing leadership positions for Black, Indigenous people in the community, specifically Esalen, or supporting Black, Indigenous initiatives to create their own spaces of retreat, of refuge, their own art residency programs as an extended community uh, or Get as an extended component in community with Esalen, et cetera? Uh, yes. And, you know, we have had this conversation. <laughs> and I think these are all things that I think about. And I think about, you know, I, I feel responsible to my own community and especially my own community of the, the, the I feel responsible. Let me just backtrack. I feel responsible to my community, A. And anywhere I go, I feel that responsibility. And then the second piece of that is that I feel no matter how grown everybody is coming and kind of making their own choices, I feel responsible primarily to the Black people who come to Esalen um, and also, you know, any Indigenous people who might come to Esalen, um, but really primarily to Black people and Black women who come to Esalen about that experience and you know to be really transparent um questioning my own courage around what am i doing am i doing enough to sort of like enact that change and also wondering like ultimately like in doing that am i really serving that's that that my own community in that what am I really contributing to inside of this, like, sort of like predominantly white space? Like, is it, is it, is it the best use of my time (laughs) to push for that inside of that space? I think that's what I'm really trying to, I I grapple with that just to be transparent. Um, And it's a hard point of transparency, you know, um, when you can just go off and make your own. But that's not so easy and simple because of the way the systems are so okay. <laughs> access to the capital and even the land and the complications around being on indigenous land. And how do you do that ethically and morally? And like, you know, when you do these pieces, when you're sp- speaking specifically about these creating spaces, physical spaces of rest and creativity for black and indigenous artists and other artists of color, like 
what is that construction like? Yeah, I feel that. I mean, it reminds me of um, one of the recent events that Black Beyond had called Origins, which was an extended reality experience, reimagining Black film futures. At Origins, we had a series of artist talks and one artist, Camera, who is um, also leading Activation Residency, which is centering Black trans lives, had said something about imagination being romanticized when in reality, imagination is damn hard work, you mm-hmm. know, and how to navigate that. And yeah, and you know, I think we can only do so much. It's like, you know, who who is in leadership, who has the power at these institutions and if they want to provide that space and that support to do this work, then there's only so much that we can do. And um, I'm glad to have this space to have this conversation with you so that, you know, we planted those seeds. So hopefully we can so. grow into, yeah, hopefully we all can grow into this, this community that is truly equitable yes. and, and full of human potential. Exactly, because the only lasting truth is change. <laughs> yes, is that an Octavia Butler reference? It might be. <laughs> <laughs> right, comes full circle, comes full circle. Yes. She is such an yes. inspiration. Yeah. Let her legacy live on. Yes, and we did not even get into the Afrofuturism pieces, um, but that's another piece um, that I wanted to get into that with you, but... Um, I feel like this is like a really good point, <laughs> like a yeah. full circle moment. Um, and I appreciate you for um, being the spark and the genesis for doing this, um, giving me a little kick and a little bit of like a little, a, a little courage nugget <laughs> to kind of come and do this, um, you know, and yeah, to have this conversation because I feel like uh, this is important at you as a person who is a, a artist who came to do this residency um, as, and your voice is vital to that and it's vital to that place as a, a voice that's not heard or centered, you know, not only at Esalen, but, you know, we know most places. So I'm really grateful to you yeah, and I and I hope that this is like the start of really having this conversation more deeply. Um, so thank you, um, and thanks to Sam yeah. <laughs> for uh, you know opening the floor. Yes, thank <laughs> and, you. Opening and cracking the floor wide open. <laughs> yes, yes, and, and uh, yeah, and I I'm really appreciative um, and. Where can people find you? People can find me. Uh, you know, I just, I keep plugging Black Beyond. Uh, I mean, my ad is Jaslyn. It's my name. So on Instagram, but um, Black Beyond's ad is at Black Beyond underscore. Uh, you can also find us at blackbeyond.xyz. And um, yeah, I had spoken of, of a recent event that we did, Origins, which is, you know, it lives online, so we can provide those links, uh, I guess, down below. Yeah, in the uh, show notes, we'll make sure we have links to Jaslyn and to Black Beyond. 
um, and to this recent uh, work as well. Um, if folks wanna follow Esselin, that would be great on all of our channels. We are at Esselin on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Um, and if you want to follow me specifically, I am at Nairi Michelle on Instagram. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this has been good. And I'm glad that we connected. Um, I forgot to mention, but Black Beyond is also planning our first in-person exhibition for Black History Month at Parsons. Ooh, great. Yes, great. in the Kellen Gallery. So uh, we have more information on that. We'll put that below as well. Thank you. Thank you, Jasmine. Thank you for this. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Michelle. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Michelle McCrary and Peter Kobabe. Our music is by Nico Holloman. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. Email me with your thoughts at voices at esalen.org. If you can't come to Big Sur, our Digital Extended Education Program, or DEEP, offers an online Esalen workshop you can experience from the comfort of your home. The first six-week workshop, We're All Gonna Die, led by Reverend Bodhi B, kicks off on January 10th, 2022. Bodhi will lead students through an exploration of how a healthy life includes a healthy relationship to death and how that awareness can help shape who we are as a community and how we care for each other now and when we're dying. The second online course, Moon Lodge, begins January 17th, 2022. Moon Lodge is a six-week online workshop focused on celebrating the body of women and the sacred feminine within. Instructors Lucia Haran and Dr. Julia Vaughn will share in the sisterhood of humanity and all that it encompasses. Register now at esalen.org learn.